like a well, serving. Bullshit, yeah, right. But at the same time, if you don't, then you're like yeah. this soulless thing. And how dare you? You, you didn't. Welcome to episode 139 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is the marketing and the F is the well you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another epic marketing podcast? I'm your host, Ian Truscott. I'm no rockstar, but I picked up a thing or two over the last 20 years on my tour from sysadmin to CMO. And on this weekly podcast, I chat to the true rockstars, my fabulous guests and chums to share some marketing street knowledge that will hopefully inspire your inner rockstar. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn, and we are proud members of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode was produced on Saturday, the 5th of November. I hope you've had a good week. You are well, safe, and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. In this week's episode, Jeff Clark and I discuss the problem with MQLs. I go backstage with Ariadna Navarro, Chief Growth Officer at VSA Partners, and we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar for a cocktail with Robert Rose. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Time for our first segment, The Marketing Studio with Jeff Clark, our resident rockstar CMO advisor, former Forrester Serious Decisions Research Director and longtime B2B marketing leader. Hello, Jeff. How's the rockstar CMO studio this week? Hello. Hello. Come on into the studio. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> snacks are on the left do you have i was gonna say do you have sandwiches this week yeah yeah well it's lunchtime no, here splendid. here in the studio it's lunchtime so there's sandwiches <laughs> and salads <laughs> splendid <laughs> well well um well i know what you've, you've got those on your rider haven't you yes yes <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> business. all right well welcome back jeff or welcome me to the marketing <laughs> studio um i've messed it up every every week um how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Jolly and uh, we're, we're having some lovely late, warm fall weather. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I don't know if we, we send any of that your way, but uh, hopefully you've been having some nice weather too. We've got some blue sky. And we're an hour closer than we usually That's are. That's right. Because uh, we changed our clocks and you haven't yet. I know. I feel, don't we feel so much closer? Like that, <laughs> it's like that ocean just became a little bit smaller. It completely throws out my week because my yeah. <laughs> everything moves up an hour. It's just anyway. Uh, this week, um, in uh, I lo- in a, in our show notes, I like the titles you're giving everything. So MQLs hasta la vista, holla opportunities. So we need to we need to start using those those things you put in our show notes. Um, there's been a lot of conversation about MQLs on the podcast. Some of my guests 
They've even flung them the into pool. the yeah. port, into the pool, our our portal to marketing hell. It seems to be a popular um, but, popular person to throw in the pool, Mister MQL. <laughs> yeah, it is, and even I think uh, our former boss. Yes, yes, Grant Grant threw them in. Yep. So. Um, but uh, I understand that this week you've been watching a webinar by your old crew at Forrester. I did. I, I was watching a yeah. webinar with uh, Terry Flaherty and Amy Hawthorne, and Terry was uh, um, mm-hmm. what they used to call him Mr. Waterfall because he was the <laughs> he was the um, the king of the lead process and MQLs mm-hmm. and benchmarking and blah blah blah. Yeah. And then he went and said, "You know what? We're going to change everything up." And, ah. and my initial reaction, this is back when I worked worked with him, was like, yeah. what? <laughs> but, uh, you know, a couple years later, I've, I've certainly come around with the idea that leads are a thing of the, of the mm. past, let's say. So, yeah, I was thinking maybe that chat was the one they all wanted to throw in the pool. So that was it. <laughs> no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Mr. Waterfall, didn't you go? Yeah, really. <laughs> well, he was already wet, so it didn't really yeah. matter. So... And I understand that webinar was called Goodbye MQL's Hello Opportunities, and I'll include a link to that in the show notes. I'm not sure how Forrester, how do, how do Forrester webinars work? I, you know, can, in can terms you of listen it, to it, them, it, it was I, live? you know, I was watched it live. So in the replays, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how you get to them. Yeah. But um, but there's but there anyway. is other content on their website, blogs, etc., that support that okay. that they'll have links to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So what? So I mean, Leeds have been in with us a long time. This whole whole business has been with us for a long time. But uh, but what what's the main thrust of what you heard on the webinar? Well, I think so. I think the thing is that if you do a little historical, I mean, certainly Leeds. I mean, the idea of Leeds has been around since there've been salespeople because you know sales generate right. their own leads and and uh, mm-hmm. and it's not like marketing hadn't generated leads in the past, but around the late. 90s and that's the 1990s not the 1890s that there you know there was this trend that that marketing should move you know because if we want to be more of a partner with sales what we should be doing is generating qualified leads for sales so let's take marketing out of the creative brand loosey-goosey stuff and move it into more of a revenue relevance uh (laughs) you know perspective and i ever certainly remember getting the late 90s you know people viewed advertising i mean Digital advertising hadn't quite caught on yet, and, and advertising in general mm-hmm. was viewed as being ineffectual. You, know, you can't measure it. You don't know where responses yeah. go. Um, yeah. And uh, and so all of a sudden, it's like we made this you know gigantic shift, and actually largely, at least in the U.S., a lot of the people at Serious Decisions were responsible for like codifying what this is. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, yeah. here's the process, here's the stages, here's the definitions, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and then companies that were in the marketing automation space and certainly CRM yeah. built them into their systems. And, and, uh, and so, you know, you, you, you pull up Salesforce and there's a out of the box lead process that you can modify to yeah. fit whatever your company's lead process is. And so creating that lead process and linking it to opportunity management was, you know, was like, it was the rage <laughs> probably. And yeah, it still is, yeah. it's still is something that, that a lot of marketers do. I, you know, and I, was responsible and or participated three different companies setting up that that process <laughs> yeah and uh, and so they had to have it be thrown all out <laughs> yeah. well i think and um i think it's interesting isn't it there because uh so is it so you guys 
I say you guys because I was an analyst for a little while as well. And so, so was it industry analysts that are at fault? Because it's often that marketing technology is to blame for MQLs, but it's a, is it actually that they were reflecting the best practice that was being defined by people like Swiss decisions? Yeah, you know, there's probably a lot of blame to go yeah. around, but it's like, I think, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think it's, um, and it was probably a combination of me because I, I, certainly in serious decisions, everything that they, mm-hmm. they were, they were building as models came from watching somebody do something and say, that's how it should work. And then, and then, right. um, you know, making it more of a best practice. Uh, and so yeah. it becomes kind of a, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy yeah but it, it, when it gets when it gets you know uh you know codified in our systems then it's like oh well yeah then we got to do that. that's what we've got to do that's yeah, what we got to do yeah but i thought what was interesting there is you're you're referring back to the late 90s which is actually where most of our music comes from as well. <laughs> um, is, is um a lot of this a lot of this tension is still here today isn't yeah it? i mean you you said advertising was viewed as ineffectual well you know yeah everybody still quotes uh uh was it wanamaker and 50 percent my advertising it doesn't work it's just i don't know which 50 yeah, right. by the way i think by law you have to do that quote when you ever talk about <laughs> advertising and um and also the fact that you know, these processes then became codified in the systems. And this is often a complaint that I hear on this show of people having a go at marketing technology because it does lead people down these lines. But I want to, what, but what is wrong with leads? I mean, we're all, I, I mean, a lot of these things are quite sensible, isn't it? I mean, yep. when I talk about marketing, I talk about awareness, revenue, and trust, and revenue, revenue requires is leads. still important. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So what's wrong with leads? Well, it, it didn't prove to be the ideal way for marketing and sales to talk the same language, which you know, which was mm-hmm. the idea. And and I actually remember yeah. presenting, you know, lead flows to, you know, the CEOs and sales leaders, it, it, you know, whether this is the late, probably early 2000 or something like that. You know, mm-hmm. and you would think it would be like, oh, wow, I get it. And sometimes it was like, yeah, really? You know? Um, so <laughs> one of the problems is that the reality is that the lead itself is not, is not, does not equal the buyer. I mean, it's certainly, um, it is not necessarily the buyer or the champion or whatever you want to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, phrase what the, what that individual is. The thing is that buying groups are, are typically the buyer. Uh, and again, this is business to business. Um, and you know, buying groups within accounts are the buyers, and so, so you know, a single lead may not lead to anything. You know, uh, to right. Put a phrase, <laughs> not to be not yeah, to, not yeah. to use a pun there, but anyway, and less than you know, one percent of leads make it to an opportunity. So, so therefore, you know, you you know, the initial reaction might be for the uh, for somebody who hasn't been indoctrinated is like, well, that's kind of a waste, yeah. you know. So you mean ninety nine percent of the stuff we're handling and trying to qualify and stuff like that is like is trash, and we're going to focus on the one percent. No. So so I think that's that's the first problem is just the you know the the fact that it's a, yeah, it is it is one data point. It's not the data point. Yeah, yeah that's what I was going to say. I don't I don't I don't entertain the ninety nine percent of wasted effort yeah. there. Um, but also. I mean, that has definitely been codified into the systems in this mismatch, particularly, as you say, B2B, because I was going to ask you to clarify, but in B2B, really, we need to think in terms of accounts rather than individuals within an account rather than leads. Because like you say, you might have a dozen people in your CRM system, and it's actually only one lead. It's only one account. It's only one revenue opportunity. 
And, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, and and it's and and more than just the. I mean, it also depends how, depends how you define account because sometimes yeah. people define accounts as the buying group or buying center within a company. Yeah. But but yeah. basically, you're you're you know what you're trying to when you when you build an opportunity, the opportunity has a buying group because there is almost mm-hmm. always more than one person who's involved in in the buying decision. Yeah. So so that's yeah. you know that's where you need to start putting your your focus, not to get ahead of ourselves. <laughs> All right, and um, so so that's the reality of it. Um, and then what you know that is it. I mean, what what the other what the other what else is wrong with you? <laughs> so I mean, well, that doesn't sound like enough. Well, that's not. Me. You're right. That's like, not. Yeah. That's not the. Yeah. That's not the end of the story. So, yeah. um, so yeah. one of the problems I think is the is the process itself. You know, and which is where mm-hmm. you 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 get to the question of you know is this is this worth it worth it because yeah. you see you know the the cycles you have to go through the handoffs oh, the yeah. definitions so. De- so that's one of the things that yeah. you know was always an issue was wrestling with. So, what's a marketing qualified lead versus a tele qualified <laughs> lead versus a sales qualified lead, and how's that different yeah. from the initial inquiry? Okay, now, now every company, yeah, you define it a little bit differently, but also sales may not define it the way the marketing team defines it. And then, what are the yeah. service level agreements between marketing? You know, the sort of interim step of a business development rep or telesales mm-hmm. person. And sales, um, and and you know those managing those things is um, it's it's extremely time intensive, and and obviously it may be yeah. may be worth it, but you know so much gets lost, and we used to have this conversation. I think Terry Clary still quotes it as the you know second lead syndrome, which is like the first lead came mm-hmm. through from company ABC, and and you know maybe when we're working that second lead comes through, okay, it's that's a duplicate. Well, okay, it's a different person, but I'm just still working this first guy, so I'm going to dispense with the second lead. <clears throat> well, right. that second, that second lead, or the download from the website, or the the mm-hmm. intent mm-hmm. monitoring that we're seeing from the company. You know, those are all yeah. important. You know, things that that if we just focus on that first lead that's coming through, we're losing yeah. sight of of all you know everything that's going right. on. And, and, you know, because we may be losing focus on this, I think this is one of the things that I think, you know, sales, and it's really in my experience, you know, sales may look at leads coming over for marketing like, you know, this is just noise. You're not, you're you're throwing me somebody, it's not the person I want to talk to, uh, it's not really helping me, it's not giving me insight into the the company and the BDRs, you know, may or may not, I mean, they may eat it up because they need to call people, (laughs) they need to do dials, Mm -hmm. uh, but but you know even sometimes if you're sending them a lot of bad stuff you know mm-hmm. because again a majority maybe it's not 99% yeah. but so much of it yeah. isn't going to go anywhere yeah, so yeah. it's like you know this is just not this is not helpful so i think the the key is that the 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 lead in and of itself is not the strongest indicate, indicator of buying because it is really more the number of people Mm. that that mm. they're engaging you're engaging with at the at the uh, potential client I, that is the uh, the indicator. Yeah, I'm kind of. I'm, well, I mean, we need a counterpoint in this conversation, so maybe I, I, I'm not really leaping to the defense of MQLs, even though it might sound like it. But what I heard there was um, they're a good opportunity for sales and marketing to at least have the conversation, right? We may hate the conversation, and everywhere I've ever been, ever, the leads are weak, 
you know, the, we're not going to accept your MQLs. They're only marketing qualified. You know, what? how we define a sales qualified lead is this. And by the way, sales look really good when an SQL is basically something that is just about to close and the customer's almost already said yes. I've got a close rate of 100% or two yeah. to one because they've already super qualified. They've already done the demo, the pricing, all that stuff. Everything before that, they want to be an MQL. So the MQL ratio is worse, right? I'm being facetious slightly, but it, it does depend on your point of view and what you're being rewarded on, right? And we're all coin-operated in that way. Yeah. But at least at least that conversation is happening, I think. The MQL has always been that hard conversation between sales and market. That is, that is true. And I, I think the thing is mm-hmm. that... Um, that you know it helps to take the the reality check of uh, you know the latest yeah. data after the pandemic is that it, it um, there's an average of 27 interactions between the vendor and the buyer mm. to win mm. any deal so mm. um so therefore it's not that the you know the lead and if if you if you if you say what the lead is is the fact that somebody mm. you know filled out a form and then they were called by a telesalesperson and then it's like yeah. we know it's a real person we know they're part yeah. of the the you know the buying group and so it's not to say that, mm. that 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 in of itself is is bad the thing is what we mm. need to do is we need to say okay that could be just one of those 27 on average yeah. interactions yeah so if we yeah. take the focus so it's, it's, on the Oh, go ahead before I jump ahead. <laughs> no, no. So it's a problem. It's, it, it, I mean, I think this is what uh, Grant was saying when he was on the show was um, is it's a problem of attribution, isn't it? It's because the problem is, is once you start having these numbers floating around and start measuring people by these numbers, then we in marketing spend an awful lot of our time trying to get attribution to every lead that exists and the lead model is flawed because the lead is a person not an account so this whole thing is 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 built on a yeah. on a foundation of sand anyways right and it's it i just i remember one of the companies that we worked at where it's like my gosh we hit yeah. our lead number we we provide exactly. 30 whatever it was 35 yeah. percent of the opportunities were marketing generated oh we missed our number yeah. well okay yeah. so i did my exactly. job you didn't do your, you know, in, and so, exactly. so, you exactly. know, that, that's where you get into it. That's where I think the yeah. lead focus gets you back. It does not solve the us versus them issue. No. That's true. That's true. And I think it's really reliant on the people and the teams isn't oh, yeah. it? and how you're set up in that way. Um, because sometimes you can have great uh, teams, metrics, measurements, OKRs that bring people together and sometimes you don't. <laughs> yeah. So and you end up in that situation, like you were saying, where sales are on one side of the table saying the leads are weak. Yeah. And you're on the other side of the table going, well, fucking close some. You, well, know yeah. I mean? just, <laughs> you never called them. How do you know they're weak? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So, um, so we kind of, okay. So I, I yeah, think we, I think we beat up thing, on them enough. It's time. <laughs> yeah. These things are, these things are flawed. So what do you, what, I mean, what's the solution? What, how do we need to start yeah, thinking? I, think, I mean, we talked a little bit there about account-based marketing. Yeah. What, what's the, well, I think the, the, yeah. the thing is to focus on the opportunity and by, and certainly mm-hmm. by opportunity, I mean the way it's defined in our CRM system, which is, you know, you've yeah. got a, uh, a buyer who's associated with a solution you can sell. Uh, and, you know, at some point you're going to put a dollar value on it. And so if, if both yeah. marketing and sales look at, look at it as we're, we're trying to create and, and track opportunities, 
we end up talking mm-hmm. the same language. And and in fact, I think if you if you went before, you know, the focus on leads, um, you know, I mean, yeah. marketing, even though marketing was just doing advertising and collateral and sales support, yeah. it was like we were, we were focused on the opportunity. And so the lead kind of took us yeah. down a little bit of a of a, you know, a divergence. And yeah. and the thing is that, you know, so marketing needs to understand, you know, what is the target account universe? So, you know, who are the accounts we're going after and what are the personas that are in the buying roles um, for your products? And so there may be, you know, that may not be one set of personas. You may have multiple solutions for which there are multiple sets of personas. And you look at the lead as one signal of many. And the great thing is today is that, you know, and we've certainly talked about a lot of these technologies, you know, today when you've got intent monitoring, you've got customer data platforms, you've got sophisticated analytics tools, Plus, you've got your market automation platform. You got your CRM system. Now, now we're able to paint a picture of the um, the interactions we're having with an account, and, and you know some of these tools actually help yeah. you separate these interactions. Look like they're associated with this particular opportunity because they're picking up signals mm-hmm. and saying, you know, given what they, you know, they looked at uh, at on third party sites yeah. or what they looked on your website, we know they're op- they're interested in solution A. And we know that these mm-hmm. interactions over here are interested in solution B. So now you can provide insight to sales because you can actually say, look, we're getting a lot of signals that are positive from you know this organization and this buying group within this yeah. organization. And from the interactions, yeah. we can build a picture of, of identified people that we know at that account because we've actually got, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to call them the leads, mm-hmm. but you've, you've got somebody who's revealed themselves yeah. and you've got other interactions yeah. that that for people who are unknown but they still help you paint the full picture so you mm-hmm. you leverage your systems and your analytics team to mm-hmm. score opportunities and and this is one of the things that is um in the in the past was well probably 3 4 years ago was relatively impossible to do but salesforce and other mm-hmm. crm companies and some of these uh like tools like um you know Alex tools yeah. that that attach to a CDP you know are able to actually help you score an opportunity so you can and you know I, I don't want to throw out any n- example numbers but you can say this you know this opportunity is looking hot this one's looking you know <laughs> yeah you know yeah. medium this one's cold or or you know as some promise yeah. um and that is that's insight that you can provide to the sales team uh and it is also something that I mean, certainly there there are uh, companies that that I was working with where it's like they were building the opportunity at the very beginning. You know, it's like it, certainly if you're if you've got more mm. of a target account focus, and you could say, okay, there's you know there, there's 800 of these types of institutions or companies out there. Um, we can identify them. We can start looking for signals from these, and now we can actually we can actually build opportunities in Salesforce that have no dollar value uh, and have right. no score. But as soon as right. we get interactions uh and we can and we yeah. and we interactions again the people who have revealed who they are versus unknown. So it, now we can start like really making right. some sense so, of what's what's good out there right so basically our pipeline changes from individuals mqls and sqls and obviously when something becomes an opportunity in a pipeline it becomes an opportunity at an organization level right so you've got that problem anyway yep. right so but so what this is, this is a pipeline of opportunities that are going through various stages, yeah. right? So it's cold at the beginning. We don't know anything. We, it's a target opportunity for us that we want. 
Um, it might be triggered by an RFP or something like that. So it moves a bit further down the pipeline because it's a more of a qualified opportunity. And But it, it's always an opportunity. It's always a group of people. It's always an organization. It's never an individual. Right. And that's what we start to track. And that's how we measure the success. Yeah, and we go from, you know, we go mm. from, you know, uh, again, that target account market through a couple stages yeah. till you get them engaged until you start to get them yeah. qualified, all, you know, all the way through. Yeah. And so yeah. what you're moving into the sales process looks more like what right. what sales is working yeah. or wants to work rather than just what yeah, marketing like is dealing with. Yeah, yeah. So ra- rather than, um, you know, qualified lead, if we were to use the same language, it would be qualified opportunity. Yep. Right? We believe that something is going to start kicking off here anytime soon yep. and, and they may have some revenue. Right? Yep. Excellent. Excellent. Well, um, I like that. So I like that change of thought. So I'm hoping that... Um, that you'll write this up in, a, <laughs> in our blog because I really like this topic. Um, but uh, so the th- last agenda item uh, for us in the studio is to choose a song that goes with this. Yes. Which I think probably chooses itself. It, this it? one chooses itself. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because there, and it, it was interesting, you know, usually when I go on this mission, it's like I, I you try to use keywords to find songs that like yeah. map the keywords. And it's like you put in opportunities. And my gosh, there were dozens of yeah. opportunities out there. <laughs> um, but there was one in particular by the Pet Shop Boys yeah. in 1986, yeah. so yeah. a little older than the uh, <laughs> the old lead waterfall. Uh, but uh, the, it has a great line. I mean, we were talking about marketing helping to provide insight to sales, but sales has got to do the yeah. work. The the, the 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 lyrics say, "I have the brains, you've got the brawn. Let's make lots of money." <laughs> I, I think it, it says it. I think it's that. yeah, it's an absolute classic from my youth. Um, so I shall be playing out with the Opportunities by the Pet Shop Boys from 1986. And uh, will you be in the studio next week? I will week, be Jeff? here next week. Yay! Excellent. And let me make sure that I know how to welcome myself into <laughs> it. <laughs> See you next Doors week. Doors always then. open. <laughs> I've had enough of schooling and messing around with jerks. My car is parked outside. I'm afraid it doesn't work. I'm looking for a partner, someone who gets things fixed. Ask yourself this question, do you want to be rich? Thank you, Jeff. And that was, of course, Opportunities by the Pet Shop Boys from 1986. And I will, of course, include a link to the webinar that inspired Jeff. But <laughs> as is the way with Forrester, it seems you'll need a login to access it. Anyway, it's time for me to go backstage with this week's guest, Ariadna Navarro, the Chief Growth Officer at Strategy and Design Agency, VSA Partners, where she leads strategy, client engagement and business development. Acknowledging the connective tissue between what a brand is and what a brand does, Ari has a unique perspective on where markets are going, what clients need and how a brand can find a moment of differentiation in crowded markets. And you can find her working on projects from IBM to AT&T to Wayfair. I'm delighted to spend some time with Ari. Hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Ari, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. I got that right, right? It's Ari rather than yeah. Ari. That's yes. that's a short, that's a short version. <laughs> Most people can't pronounce my name, so 
I would have had I've a got... go. I would have oh, okay. Well, let's, let's, let's hear it. I I'm dare very... you to try it. <laughs> is it is it Arianda? Ari... No. No, it is Arianda. I'll give you three three tries. Uh, <laughs> I've only, no, you're good, is, you're good. What, what I've done with my notes is I've just put Ari because I was told that's what to call you. So. That's fine. That's because my, my actual name is Ariadna and it, it's Ariadna. hard because that... That D at the end is not a natural pronunciation. Ariadna. Well, I, you know, the most polite thing I can do is call you by your actual name, so Ariadna. <laughs> but we'll go with Ari. And where am I speaking to you from? Yeah, I am in New York, uh, New York based, but I'm, uh, I was born in Venezuela, so I'm, I'm nice. a Latin in New York. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like a good combination. I do very much enjoy your city, so very nice. And as we were talking before I press record, I've worked there and. You have a it's, a, it's a lovely part of the world. Um, so, uh, so tell, I'm, I've already know a little bit about you. Tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I, I have been in New York for a while now, probably the majority of my career. I was born mm-hmm. and raised in Venezuela. Uh, mm-hmm. I started my career in strategic planning at Leo Burnett. And mm-hmm. uh, fast forward to today, it probably is one of my favorite jobs of all time. Yeah. Because it taught me to be curious. And yeah. uh, they at least at the time, they uh, really led with ideas and the entire organization was designed to support extraordinary creative. Mm-hmm. And we were sort of all the protectors of, of the creative, no matter what yeah. department you were in. So yeah. it was great if you were a creative, it sucked if you were in account planning um, or, <laughs> or in account management, sorry. And account planning was great because we were the we were the vessels of inspiration, yeah. but account management was probably not so great, but it was, you know, it was really uh, an extraordinary first job um, yeah. to sort of learn the ropes. And then I came to New York on holiday to visit a friend uh, when I was very young. She's like, I have a headhunter. And I'm like, well, what is that? I've never heard of this group. <laughs> and, uh, and I did that and I went yeah. and then I went back home and two weeks later I had a call from Wonderman, which is sort of the, the digital yeah. and direct side of, you know, YNR, that big, that big yeah. group with a job offer. And I wow. moved to New York. Yeah. And that was sort of my leap to this side of the pond. And then from yeah. there, uh, I spent probably the majority, I have spent the majority of my career in consulting. So yeah. that Wonderman was my last agency. Right. It's not bad. But I mean, there is so much to unpick there, and I'm going to ask you some questions about it. I mean, <laughs> I love the Leo Burnett stuff, and obviously New York Agency, and um, you know, a bit of a fan of Mad Men from back in the day. Yeah. You know, it's all you know that kind of creative, that kind of vibe. So, tell us about VSA Partners, where you are now. What, what do you guys do? Yeah, so we are a strategy and design consultancy, uh, mm-hmm. and we were born 40 years ago uh, from. Uh, three designers who really saw design as a business asset. Mm -hmm. And there's, for me coming from consulting, there's something very compelling about, you know, talking to people who have that sensibility and that empathy and who really see design. And when we say design is sort of that systems thinking, it's not necessarily like what color or something, like what is the ecosystem and what are the pieces and how do they have to work? Mm-hmm. So we are, our purpose is to design for a better human experience. Mm-hmm. So what is a better human experience for any project we work on is kind of how we approach the work, you know, whether we actually are designing a you know visual identity system or we're, whether we are doing business strategy for a giant company okay. and figuring out, you know, organizational transformation, 
we're thinking about what is a better human experience of that business strategy or that execution or the deployment or the engagement. So you think about things very differently because mm-hmm. it's less about like, how do we grow? And, yeah. you know, what are your KPIs? I mean, it, that is all in there because we're quite empirical Oof. and rigorous about at least the strategy part. Yeah. Um, but you're you're bringing in that, that fundamental layer and that forces you to do a lot of the work up front and really understand the human needs and how do you create mm-hmm. strategies that are meaningful and where is the value exchange chain? Right. You know, we have this thing in our briefs that's like, what's the value exchange? And if it doesn't go both ways, we chuck yeah. it and then we'll go back to the drawing board. So yeah. it gives us sort of that rigor, the same way in, in a way that Leo Burnett's filter was like, is this a, you know, groundbreaking idea or creative yeah. idea or new for yeah. us is, you know, is there a value exchange, a human exchange yes. to make that experience better? Yeah, that's really interesting because we've been talking about brand a lot on the show recently. And um, I've been talking to somebody who's a first time author, a friend of mine, and she she was talking about these values thing like a couple of weeks ago. And it's really interesting about how um, how branding is now about values, your values as a brand, but also about the value that you exchange with with the consumer right? that you you put into all of this. So it's a really fascinating topic, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I, brands, boy, I mean, brands carry so much responsibility today. Yeah, and yeah. I, I feel like I talk to my team about this and my clients all the time because <laughs> I, I always say, listen, 10 years ago, even brands mm-hmm. were just brands. So you're still responsible for selling, you know, Coca Cola to sell soda yeah. and Frito Lays to sell chips. And, you know, yeah. everyone just were, was selling their thing and it was okay. And you just had to be creative and entertaining and have these sort of compelling ideas. Yeah. But as society has has sort of crumbled a little bit and sort of what what I call sort of the beacons of society that yeah. upheld the moral compasses and ethics and values of the world, whether it's government or religion or education mm-hmm. systems, as all of that has sort of crumbled, yeah. people I think now hold brands responsible for that moral right. compass. So yeah. brands have to stand for more than what they do and offer. Yeah, and that's... that very difficult because most companies weren't built to do that i mean i've gone completely off the script of what i was going to ask you but <laughs> that's okay that's, this is really yeah. interesting because um I, you know you're right because we're in a consumer society right and and it's interesting when you say something as as fundamental as well you know religion and government aren't providing us with our moral compass it's now the brands that are doing that which is kind of scary and true at the same time isn't it because people uh, you know, people that love particular brands like Apple or it is or Tesla it is a religion, isn't it, with them? It is. And a lot of them, you know, have created these very mm. close ecosystems that, you know, they're yeah. very intelligent about what they do. And there's behavior rules in a way. And there's yeah. a book of law and there's yeah. a leader at the top and that yeah. everyone, you know, looks up to and these idol creator founders. And, you know, yeah. like they, they view some of those elements. But when you look at how consumers hold these brands accountable it's mm-hmm. it's just fascinating to me because yeah. how do, how do you do that in a way that's it in a way that you're not taking advantage of the situation so yeah. like okay well this is a social topic that we know is hot for our audience so we're going to attach yeah. our cells yes. to that yeah. which is obviously just kind of you know self um yeah. Like a serving basically yeah right but at the same time (laughs) if you don't then you're like this soulless thing and how dare you you know you didn't speak up against this moment so it's 
it's not an easy, I think, road to travel at the moment. No, but I, but that's what I was thinking as you as you were speaking just then about um about this sort of moral compass now brands are providing that is I was thinking brand purpose and the way at the moment brand purpose has got such a damaged perception right now because there was there's been so much poor poor brand purposing and people latching on to 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 causes that really had no right to have a voice on right which has kind of ruined it for everybody hasn't it but your 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 point is that a brand needs to have a purpose because it it's it's part of that society right i mean there's just it's unavoidable but i mean you've hit on something that's really really important which is the execution part because we yeah. always think it's like it's all about like coming up with a great idea, whether it's a yeah. purpose idea or a creative idea or strategy. It's like once yeah. you have that, it's all solved. I'm like, well, yeah. guess what? Ninety percent is the execution of that idea. Mm-hmm. That and ten percent is the idea itself. Like yeah. ideas are a dime a dozen. You know, it's like yeah. honestly, I mean, I hate to say because I'm a strategist and that's my job <laughs> is to pick, you know, yeah. where to go. But it's like that's yeah. not the hard part. The hard part is executing that. So yeah. if you have a a purpose, or or it could just be that you're bread is purposeful doesn't yeah. mean you have to have something separate i'm not a huge fan of all these separate bits and pieces yeah, yeah. um but if you have a purposeful perspective how do you carry that through mm-hmm. what, how does that really manifest so that you are building a cohesive story that people truly understand yeah. and are able to grasp if you just have like a purpose on your website and then you go and plant three trees because i don't yeah. know it's somehow connected to your purpose and then you give yeah. your voice a t-shirt that says i planted a tree yeah. Why bother? That yeah. it's just not going to change. But if you're yeah. Patagonia, who I mean, that's the absolutely. extreme, and that's absolutely. honestly the lazy example. But mm. where he's given up, I think all of it, right? I think yeah, all his yeah. stalkers' wealth away, yeah. because he really wants to build a better planet. And everything about the organization, from manufacturing to to recycling the clothes to like everything, mm. is in service of that vision. Mm. Then that becomes really powerful because there's no. Yeah. 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 Well, there's t- two two things. Uh, well, one primary. Th- well, a couple of points from that. One is, I think that some people are much. Uh, I think some people find the execution easier than the idea. So I think you're doing yourself a disservice saying, "Oh, the ideas bit is easy, and it's just the execution bit that's hard." I'm sure they're both hard or easy, depending on who you are. But I. Th- um, but the the point there about brand is. Um, is that it's a promise, isn't it? It's a promise to the consumers. And if you can't hold it up, if you say, oh, we have this brand purpose and it's three trees and a T-shirt, then people can see through that, right? Because you're not upholding that brand purpose, but that brand promise rather. But that's the, when I say execution, it's not just the doing, but the thinking <laughs> of the ecosystem. Yeah. How does that carry through? Okay, great. Yeah. If it, If your purpose has to do with, you know, saving, you know, I don't know, some environmental angle, yeah. then okay how does that carry through what is that ecosystem you know how does that get deployed into beliefs and behaviors you know and then internal and external so how do i live that inside you know my closed doors and how do i live that for our customers investors it's not just your customers like Mm. that ecosystem of like how do you pull that through yeah yeah is really hard work suppliers exactly it's really hard work yeah, so I imagine with your design thinking and the kind of strategic work that you do, I mean, it, it it's beyond marketing, isn't it? When you're when you're talking to somebody about a brand in this way, are they then having to have a hard look at their business and the way they do business <coughs> and, and 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 how they execute and all that kind of stuff? It's it, 
I mean, these days it seems to me, so I'm running on, I should stop and let you speak. But these days it seems to me now brand is everything, isn't it? It's, it's the embodiment of the company. It's what they do, the strategy and all that stuff. Yeah, I feel like you um, you should work for VSA because that's, that's how we look <laughs> up brand. It, it's actually not common. We, we Genuinely, we have this chart mm-hmm. that we show clients. Like We yeah. really say like brand is a business asset yeah. um, because I think traditionally, I think, a lot of companies saw brand as an extension of just comms or yeah. just like, okay, brand is your communications and your marketing. Yeah. Whereas brand is just a filter by which you communicate your business mm-hmm. ambition period, mm-hmm. and what you do and how you do yeah. it differently. I mean, that's, that's what a brand is. It's just an articulation of what you have to offer. Well, isn't yeah. that business strategy? Yeah. So yeah. it's just put in a, in a way that's compelling and human and that us general normal people can understand what it is you do and why is it better than the next. Yeah. So when you look at it that way, then it should be a filter for HR. It should be a filter mm. for finance. It should be a filter for how you hire and who you hire. It should be a filter mm. for your manufacturing practices. It should be a filter for, yes, of course, your experiences yeah. and your marketing and you know, it should be you know, a filter for, ex- yeah. for uh, service innovation, product innovation, like, it, sh- it just becomes, again, the clearest articulation of business. But big legacy organizations are not structured that way because they traditionally have had more of a push-out strategy where it's like, I have a message, push it out into the world. Yep. That's not the world we live in anymore. So no. I think they're all, you know, reassessing yep. how to use brand to, to galvanize, you know, entire organizations. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, um, you know, in some of the conversations I've had on this very show is that um, people are kind of the, that idea of talking about brand at the C-suite as a marketer is being kind of, shh, don't talk about brand because they think it's the fluffy stuff and the crayons and, and all that kind of stuff. Talk about something else. Right. But I think this conversation brings it right back to say brand has a a business value that if Mr. CEO, CFO, you need to pay attention to the brand. Like, let's not be ashamed of, as Mark is saying, brand is important, right? I don't yeah, know if you've seen that resistance. But I that's... mean, yeah, it's changing a lot, I think. Yeah. I think, uh, yes. And, you know, very often uh, you have uh, either projects you're pitching or clients that say, you know, I want to see the RI or I want to see, okay, yeah. if you're asking me to invest half a million dollars, a million dollars in this, I want to. Yeah. I want to know well, how is it going to affect and grow yeah. my brand. Yeah. And you know, I come from a background where I do look at the business case, so I do mm. look at brand as a as a value creator. Yeah. And yeah. part of, the, I mean, your your show is called Rockstar CMO. Like part of the trend with CMOs now is that yeah. they're they're chief marketing and growth officers. Yes, because they are a PNL center and they are responsible yeah. for growth, and that's yeah. the brand. So they own the yeah. brand, but they also own you know, the growth because they, yeah. they understand the audiences, they understand where the potential is coming from. They obviously have budget, you know, Absolutely. so, so that, it, that has changed and and will continue to change. Even in my role, I'm, I'm chief strategy and growth officer. So I'm looking at yeah. like, what do clients need and what are the, what are the growth opportunities for them so that we can make sure that we are, you know, yeah. fulfilling those needs. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, as regular listeners of the show know, you know, my mantra for marketing is is that we are here to create art, which is awareness, revenue and trust. And really, you know, usually revenue or trust, depending on who I'm talking to, is probably the most important. And I think that sometimes 
that's where you know marketing has got a bad rap because Mm -hmm. and that's why you're seeing chief growth officers emerging in in larger organizations because we need to focus on revenue and growth and if we're not going to do it you know they're going to bring in somebody else who will right yeah and i think it it's in a way it's a bummer because i i mean not a bummer (laughs) that there's growth you know officers because that's what i do for a living but i yeah i i can see how that happened i mean we always say like if you if you're doing great work the growth Mm. will come yeah for for any brand you know if you have you really meaningful creative then that's going to attract customers mm. if you have mm. you know a, a purposeful product that's going to attract you know like yeah. if you're doing great work overall as a company that will attract growth but i do think from a creative side we have had decades and decades of a little bit of like you know let's just win awards and mm. the revenue mm. comes after mm-hmm. uh you know we just want our 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 lions at Khan and yeah. and then that yeah. you know we're not necessarily thinking about that and Khan has been criticized a lot for that and has switched you know a lot of how yeah. they look at awards in the last few years because yeah revenue matters and growth matters yeah so a I think we years, have to have the combination the conversation yeah. together you know it's not one or the other yeah a few years ago I did my turn at um at, at McCann agency in London and um I I'm a I'm a uh, you know, I'm a B2B tech CMO, really, and I'm focused on growth and all those kinds of things. And I could never really fully understand that that awards motivation and all that stuff. It kind of lost me. I was like, well, surely we should focus on the business. But anyway, that's a digression. <coughs> um, I'm looking at the time. Um, I wanted to ask you, actually, I mean, we kind of glossed over it. What inspired you to get into marketing um, or when it brought you over from Venezuela? And, you know, you're one of the greats, Leo, Leo Burnett. What, what kind of got you going? Yeah, I mean, I I uh, studied in, in Venezuela college. Uh, when you go to college, you have to choose your basically your, mm-hmm. your major from day one. It's not like in the U.S. where you study sort of four years of kind of general education and then you have a major and a minor. So in Venezuela, if you want to be a lawyer, you have to study law from day one. And if you want to be an engineer, it's from day one, that kind of thing. So I studied communications uh, from day one. So uh, Mm -hmm. my last year in college, I had a friend whose boyfriend worked at a uh, TV production house, like very Mm -hmm. well known. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. And they helped us do like a college project. And long story short, I ended up working as a PA, production Mm -hmm. assistant, doing TV spots. It, you know, my last, I think it was probably my last, or maybe my last two years in college, college in Venezuela, yeah. it's five years. Yeah. And so for two years, I did, you know, every free minute I had, I, so I did like 52 commercials. So I ended up meeting wow. all the great directors, you know, wow. all these agencies. And one of my last projects was Crest for um, P&G, which is Leo Burnett's yeah. client. And I met these people there and I was graduating, you know, thereafter and I interviewed and they're like, come and work here. I'm like, oh, of of course, amazing. So I didn't even have to think about like getting a job after college because I think I may have even started it before I graduated. Yeah. And then from there, it was just kind of like, you know, New York was sort of the Mecca, Mm -hmm. you know, like you, you have this vision of like, well, if you're in advertising, this is where you should be. And then my stint at Wonderman gave me this flavor of the business side. Mm-hmm. Leo is sort of the creative side. And then Wonderman, of course, like it's all based on yeah. data and based on numbers and based on, you know, open rates and click rates. And like mm-hmm. you, you do have that business side of marketing. Mm-hmm. So I found that very compelling. So I think going into consulting, 
uh, and innovation, which is really my background, made all the sense because it's the combination of the business and the creative side. Cool. Yeah, cool. No, I mean, I wanted to go back to that because I was really, I'm fascinated by how you started. But, and, and this has been, I mean, we're up to time already and I, I've really enjoyed this conversation. But I just want to chuck in one final question. And chuck in is the right word here. We have a regular feature on the Rockstar CMS Simple. Our portal to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake on low hype trends that plague this industry we love. What would you chuck in there, Ari? Uh, I would chuck the word digital. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I I cannot even talk about it in a sentence anymore because it's mm-hmm. just it's the antithesis of everything that I believe in. I mean, it's it's. Yeah. First of all, everything is digital. So yeah. if you have to say digital, then there's something wrong with this conversation. Yeah. And it's it's a channel in which or by which we communicate. It's mm-hmm. not different than any other channel. So yeah. the fact that we've carved out this thing as this mysterious ethos, but then you it's this digital like, well, it has to be like that's how brands yes. where brands live. So it just should it should be embedded in how we think about anything. Uh, brand related it shouldn't be a thing we talk about so if if this does exist please take that word i am i'm all (laughs) over that one i'm all over that one i love it and any so many words are put in the front of the word marketing these days and distract everybody into something when really it's the purest marketing that we need to be thinking about and brand building i love it so absolutely we'll be chucking digital into the rockstar cmo simple (laughs) and um and when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you yeah, I mean, usual channels at BSA Partners on Twitter. Mm-hmm. My Twitter is at Ariadna Clara, bsapartners.com. Uh, if you want to visit our website. So, uh, yeah, please, please take notes if you want to chat, exchange ideas. If you need any I kind hope, of thinking, we're here. I hope people do. I've really enjoyed this conversation. I will include all of your links in the show notes, of course. Um, because I went off on that digression and doing quite talk about some of the things I want to talk about. And we had some great topics there. Um, maybe I shouldn't ask you live, but would you mind coming back on the show another time? Of course. I would love that. That'd I'd love to have you lovely. back. Thank you very of much. Course. I really enjoyed this conversation. Same, Ian. Thank you. Cheers, Ari. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Thank you, Ari. And since we recorded that interview last week, Ari has expanded her role from Chief Strategy Officer to becoming the Chief Growth Officer of VSA Partners. So congratulations on that. And I will, of course, include all of Ari's links and VSA Partners in the show notes, which you can find at rockstarcmo.com. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and be transported away for a cocktail and a marketing thought with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, I can hardly hear you over the din, my friend. I, I just—it's so loud in here. I guess, I guess you've decided to rent out the bar to Parliament. I, I know you're having your troubles there in, 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 the, in the UK, but um, goodness gracious, there's so much shouting and and yelling, and, and I, I can hardly hear you over all the shouting and yelling of the politicians at each other. It's uh, it's a little crazy. Yes, they 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 overspilled out of the uh, Parliament building just over there, pointing vaguely across London. <laughs> I was going to say maybe it's a Thursday night, and this is the this is the this is the when everybody gathers yeah. for their at the pub to to yeah, to drink and yell and smoke cigarettes. Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, they take they've taken up residence here because you know um, the political discourse in our country uh, requires a few beers, I think, to, <laughs> to not, and make sense of it all. Really, <laughs> yeah. So this might be the best place for them. Indeed, indeed. Well, in any event, as we as we navigate around all of the uh, the 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 MPs in in Mm -hmm. their suits and and whatnot and 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 all of that, um, we have a wonderful drink. Uh Um, We have a wonderful drink tonight. And what we have is kind of a a fancy uh, version of a Negroni, um, which I love. I love myself a good Negroni. Uh Um, Now, this is this is going to be a little more of a to do, um, which I'm sure you've got all the ingredients there in your virtual bar <laughs> to do this. But this is a, so it, it is the classic Negroni in the, in mm-hmm. the sense that there's gin and Campari yes. uh, and, uh, and all of that Amaro mm-hmm. um, um, and then a little bit of orange juice, if you want that. Uh-huh. Um, but then we add a little bit of an egg white and we, you know, sort of whip that up. So that, you know, the egg white whips up into the drink itself, which is mm-hmm. always lovely to sort of give yeah. it to a, an interesting texture, mm-hmm. a little lemon juice, mm-hmm. and then either uh, a, a little bit of, if and again, this comes back to my, you've heard me say on the show so many times, I don't love simple syrup or the no. sugars there, yeah. but something to make it sweet. And I just like a little more orange juice to mm-hmm. add into that. Um, and then, of course, you've got your orange, you know, um, yeah. garnish or whatever you want to do yeah. there. So that's it. So it's lemon juice, a little egg white where you whip it up. Mm-hmm. And then you've got your gin, your Campari, your Amaro and a little orange juice for uh, sweet and no nice. ice. Just put that into a shaker, shake it all up, shake get it, it in there, shake vigorously to get that egg white <laughs> going. And then there you go. All right. So just looking at the ingredients on my desktop bar, I shall attempt to make that fine drink. Um, I don't have my shaker, so that's a shame. But in a miracle of, uh, of, of the show, I do have some gin. But um, first, I'm going to put some ice in. Did you shake it with ice? Uh, yeah, shake it with ice, yes. yes. Yeah, put the ice in there and then shake vigorously in that my, shaker to get ice. everything going. So I'm, so I'm going to go with, go with the gin. So that's handy that I can go with some gin in there. Um, I'm going to... Um, uh, the The... Egg white is interesting. You put egg white in whiskey sour as well. I seem to remember in weeks ago. I actually attempted to make it too, and then uh, I forgot to put anything sweet in it. And it was incredibly sour. I think it was your whiskey sour. It's got egg white in it, doesn't it? Ah, it, yeah. It's your ingredient. It's your recipe, mate. Don't you remember? <laughs> I, you know, I don't. I pay attention. You want me to remember remember them for more than a week? No, you're. you're <laughs> you. You are well, sadly mistaken, my I'm friend. I, I don't with... remember yesterday, much less a week ago. <laughs> I think it's all the cocktail, mate, probably. So I'm mm. going to go with... Uh, so I am going to replace egg white, uh, lemon juice, Campari... Uh, Camparo, sorry. Uh, no, Campari and Amarone. Although I do have some of these ingredients not on my desktop bar, my regular bar, and the orange juice with um, something the wonderful people at Fever Tree have put together, which I believe... Uh, is a good combination of this because everybody knows that the cucumber is the orange, the most English of oranges. Uh, see, I've got to remember cucumber. some. Cucumber. Yes. Of the, I've got to remember some of the catch catchphrases from this very show. <laughs> so, it's, so let me put that together. Give this. You should make bumper stickers. <laughs> yeah, I think I should. Mmm. That is delicious, Robert. I really like that. And what are we calling that? 
Well, we call that a a a, 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 a dream Negroni, mm. and I think it's the egg white that makes it the dream. We make it the dream Negroni. I love it. Yes, a dream Negroni. I could drink one of these every week. Yeah, I oh. think you probably might. <laughs> So, uh, as we are a virtual bar and we could be transported anywhere in the world, where are you going to transport us to this week? We're going to transport uh, uh, this week mm -hmm. uh, away from politics as much <laughs> as we possibly can, yeah. off to a place, it's a little town up in Na Napa Valley called Yauntville, mm -hmm. uh, and spelled Yauntville, Y-O-U-N-T-Ville, for mm -hmm. those of you who are going to look it up on a map. Yauntville is at the southern end of the Napa Valley. Yeah. And... It's most famous probably for the restaurant that's there, which is, of course, very famous, called the French Laundry. Oh, um, yes. And um, we won't be going to the French Laundry, but there is a wonderful, uh, th I mean, there's a number of wonderful restaurants in Yauntville. Um, so we will sit at one of them mm -hmm. in one of the cafes there in the, in, the, in the downtown part of Yauntville. And as we sip these wonderful dream Negronis, it's a great time to visit the the, the yes. Napa Valley because it's it's just getting cool. Fall is setting in. It's a wonderful time and uh, the temperature is great. And then we can take our cocktails as and from there move on to the wineries and do a big, wonderful wine tasting as we discuss things. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing, especially as here in the UK. And I we obviously need to record this in my evening and your morning because you're in California. Um, it's getting dark, miserable here. So this vision of, of of sipping these these cocktails in the in the Napa Valley sounds beautiful. So um, I hate to do this to you when we're in such a lovely place, but our conversation will turn to marketing at some point. What are we going to talk about this week? Well, we're going to talk about storytelling, Ooh. actually. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and this is something that I have been on about with a few. Uh, of our clients of late mm -hmm. um, because it, it's all about, you know, so we, we talk a lot about, uh, you know, the story and the quality of our content and what we're doing with it and our thought leadership and all of that. And we rarely talk about how it's actually being told. Right. And, you know, I mean, think of all the great novels you've read that turn into just awful movies. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, or I was watching, for example, at a, event recently a ceo of a company who was going through his presentation and clearly the team the marketing team had built his oh. presentation for him and he didn't understand yeah, it, right yeah, yeah. he clearly hadn't spent any time with it and didn't understand it. And the presentation by all accounts looked fine mm -hmm. but he was just butchering it and skipping slides because he didn't know how to speak to yeah, them and yeah. stuff like that and i felt so yeah. bad for the marketing team who probably put a tremendous amount of work into this presentation yep. only to have the CEO come in and completely butcher yeah. it. And so, as I've said to many clients, a story's success, no matter what story you're telling, a story's success relies as much, if not more, on the storyteller as it does on the elements yeah. of the story itself. Yeah. In other words, a great storyteller can make a mediocre story pretty darn good, mm -hmm. but a bad story can ruin, a, or a storyteller can ruin a good story in a heartbeat. Yeah. And that's the real key especially and this is where we'll focus a bit when we start talking about sales right sales enablement yeah. and where content is these days yeah. and the interesting thing to me is one of the things that is is true and is really hard when you're a storyteller 
is when you know the ending, mm -hmm. right? When, you know, mm -hmm. making a story good when the audience for sure knows how it's going yeah, to end, yeah, yeah. you know? I mean, great example of this just in the storytelling world, of course, is, um, I don't know, are you a uh, uh, Game of Thrones, House of Dragons fan? I'm familiar fan? with their works. Um, yes, it wasn't something, you know how it is, your wife has to catch on to some of these things and sometimes sure. things don't make it in the house. <laughs> so yes, I'm aware of the works, but I'm not... I actually turned my wife onto yes, the Game of I, Thrones I wasn't, stuff, but uh, she's now addicted yes, to it. Yes, I wasn't so yeah. successful. So obviously you have qualities that I definitely don't have and listeners will already know that. <laughs> <laughs> in any event the 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 house of the mm. dragon which is the the new yeah. series is obviously a prequel yeah. to the game of thrones series and set a hundred years before the events of the series that we've yeah. already seen eight seasons of have taken place so if you're a fan of mm. that you pretty much know how this prequel is going to end right you know you know kind of how it you know who's going to live and who's going to yeah. die ultimately because they have to be alive to give birth <laughs> to the people who are going to be, you know, there to uh, do the series yeah. um, later on. And so in sales enablement, I bring that up because in sales enablement, the audience, our customer always knows the ending of a sales mm -hmm. enablement yeah. story, yeah. right? You know, if it's a white paper and they're presenting a white paper or some industry challenge, the audience knows that the end of the story is going to be some recommendation about how our brand does this perfectly yeah, yeah. well, right? You know, if it's a new product or a new service solution, the audience understands that that salesperson is going to end with some sort of explanation about why this solution is perfect mm -hmm. for them, you know, and with case studies or customer case stories, there's, there's never any doubt that the, yeah. you know, that the audience doesn't know <laughs> that everything's going to turn out great for this customer, yes. right? You know, it's going to be, it's going to be a huge success. Yeah. And they're yeah. right, of course, all of those things, we know how the ending is. So it's even more pressure on good storytelling rather than, you know, rather than not. And so one of the answers that we've seen really work with this is to not just think about the content you're creating for the sales teams, but also the thing that we call marketing the marketing yes. or the content about yes. the content, which is creating content that helps the salesperson tell the story better. So is that a curriculum? Yes. Is it training? Yes. Is it metadata? Yes. Are they scripts? Yes. Sometimes they're all of those things. It is a strategy that we wrap around the bigger pieces that we're going to use for sales enablement to help actually, you know, live up to our promise of enabling sales. It's not just throwing content over the wall to help them say, here, go give this to the customer and have sales be a, a content distribution machine. It is rather enabling sales to talk to and educate themselves on how to tell the story in the white paper or the infographic or the, you know, ebook or whatever it is they're going to be walking through with a prospective customer to help them have a better, more relevant conversation and give the salesperson value in having that conversation. Yeah. Because as so many, so many, I mean, almost without exception, VPs of inside sales or the VP of sales that runs a, you know, a, a, some sort of business development group or whatever it is, you know, they, they are so busy making calls, trying to set mm -hmm. appointments, doing things that education is a yeah. luxury for them, yeah. you know, and getting them smarter is a, is yeah. a, you know, that's hard to make the time because anytime they're not spending in front of mm -hmm. a customer is time they're not spending in front of a customer. And so you've got to make it easy, efficient, 
and effective, most importantly, to make those salespeople smarter on the content you're delivering so that they tell that story in a great way. And so it's a putting a program around that is just as important as putting our content marketing program. And and there's so much good stuff in here. I mean, from my own experience, I mean, that first thing you were talking about, about the CEO doing a presentation that was prepared by marketing. I've got a smaller example of that where I worked uh, for a CMO who had who had somebody ghostwriting articles for them and I read one of the articles and I was really interested in the topic and I asked them about it and they had absolutely no clue no clue at all right and it was a marketing topic so anyway my my double disappointment was come on your CMO so you should have an opinion and understanding of this and the second part was it was clear they ghost had it ghostwritten and had paid no attention and that that was incredibly disappointing but I also think from a sales perspective, what you're saying there is really because I think some of the best salespeople actually own the story themselves, don't they? They take the bits and bobs that you put together as a marketing and sales enablement team and actually own that story. So they tell it authentically. I, I think that's the exception right. rather than the rule. Uh, but I, I love it when I yeah. see it happening and I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, it's 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 it can be so yeah. powerful when they yeah. do that. But it does in many cases become that that is the yeah. exception, right? They just don't, I don't think it should you know, be, yeah. I mean, I can't tell you how yeah. many times I've, I've heard salespeople complain yeah. to me about marketing and content that they're getting and what the salespeople, the leaders in the sales organization, what they'll say is, listen, we get all this yeah. content that, you know, we, we honestly, we don't know how yeah, to tell yeah. this story. We don't know if we should tell this story. We don't know when we mm-hmm. should tell this story, you know, we get it. It's not that we're dumb and we can't understand what it is you're yeah. saying, but we don't understand the context yeah. of how and why you came to this point of view or you know what the way to speak yeah. to this is. And honestly, we just don't have time to dissect it ourselves. It's not that they mm-hmm. couldn't, but they just don't yeah. have time. I, I, yeah. And so that's yeah, the real challenge. When I've uh, run product marketing teams, the best allies I've had have, or the, be- the best people I've spoken to are the people in sales because... You might sit in a conference room as a, as a marketing team and come out with all these mealy words. Somebody's got to stand in front of another human being and say those words, right? And not feel like a complete cock, right? So that's always my sort of test is like, would a sales guy, how do they, comfortable do they feel saying these words or using this language or telling this story, right? And you have to have that loop back, don't you, of, of what it, you know, how do we pitch this? How does this person pitch this? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Well, and, uh, and getting everybody to pitch yeah. it the same way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the consistency there. You know, I mean, the, I mean, the other thing I also hear from sales is, yeah, they'll get a piece of content and one sales guy will yeah. do this and another sales guy will do that. And another sales guy will do that. And then you go to the landing page that marketing wrote and it's something yeah, else yeah. yet again. Yeah. And it's, and it's like, just even having, even if it's suboptimal, having it be at least consistent <laughs> is it would be yeah, would be nice yeah. and i think we um you know some you know we forget that the um the a, a sales presentation is part of our marketing channel right and it's and it, it and we as marketers go around creating blog posts white papers all sorts of other stuff and sometimes forget that the there will be somebody who's going to tell this story orally and that's a channel to, you know so it needs to be repurposed for that purpose does that make sense? <laughs> it does. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. Finally, yeah. how many weeks have you been doing this? 
yeah. jolly good. Great. Well, that's that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Robert. And when um, if people are uh, searching for, um, for for content that's really ready for a sales guy to pick up and run with consistently and, and sell to all his team, where are they going to find that? They'll find us sort of hanging out at our little website, which is, again, Cobbler's Kids. I haven't updated in a little bit, so I need to get it updated. But that's at contentadvisory.net. But please come over. <laughs> and I'll include a link to it in the show notes, as well as which, um, when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you, Robert? Well, the usual suspects, you know, LinkedIn and Twitter. But I'd also invite people to come hang out at our little community. We're starting to re-energize for the fall around our little, what we call the experience yes. advisors. Um, and it's just a little Discord community that we have talking about customer experience and content and storytelling and all kinds of things. Small but mm-hmm. mighty, uh, a, just a group of really fun, smart people yeah. in there. And so me. there you so. go. <laughs> yeah, and, and you. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's that part too. Yeah. And so that's experienceadvisors.io, right? It's the, it's the website. Yes. That's right. I'm that's sorry. Yes, that's the URL for it. Experienceadvisors.io. And I will, of course, include all the links to that in the show notes. But most importantly, apart from seeing you on Discord and disrupting your wonderful community of lovely people, um, will I find you in the bar next week? You will, and hopefully we've cleared out all these politicians from India. Yeah, goodness gracious. Well, they do drink well. That's the good thing about politicians. So they do indeed. They keep the bar tabs. They keep the bar tab paid. That is true. All right, mate. I'll see you next week. Thank you, Robert. The importance there of not just the story, but how you tell. Oh, that's a wrap on episode 139 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff, Ari, and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello and check out their work. I'll include all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or at rockstarcmo.com. We can also find all our previous episodes. But most of all, thank you for dropping a dime into your podcast YouTube box, selecting our track, and driving along with us. Does the world need another Epic Marketing Podcast? Let us know on the socials or please drop a rating or review in your favourite podcast app. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff will be back in the studio. I'll learn about sports sponsorship with Kelly Troyer of Clandestine Events. And Robert will be back in our virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO F. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.